Welcome to the Drink Less, Live More podcast. If you are someone that is wanting to evaluate your relationship with alcohol, you've come to the right place. You don't have to call yourself anything. We don't have to use any labels. You're just someone that knows something isn't working for you and you want to make an intentional change. Let's go. Welcome back to Drink Less, Live More. I am just off of a breakfast on a Monday morning, which I usually block my calendars on Monday morning. So if I have put you in that time slot, you are special to me. And the woman that I met is special to me. She is such a soft place for me to land. She is also a coach. And we just have so many things in common. And then we have just a little bit of our own little nuance that really brings something to the conversation. But it's just got my day started off right. You know, like when you start it that way, I think it makes such a huge difference in the rest of the day. So I actually just texted her and said, we should just start every Monday morning this way. Like we grab coffee and breakfast or we had tea actually um, and breakfast and chat and then we're ready to go for the week. You know, let's let's think about this. This might be like our Monday morning, you know, motivation or whatever it is. So that was really nice. I shared with her and I'll share with all of you something that I think is brave. And 10 years ago, I would have scoffed at this. If, I, if somebody said that this is a brave thing to do, I would have kind of scoffed like, yeah, that's real brave there. Yeah, of course. Like you really went to war. Like that's what I, that was sort of my vision of what bravery was, was it had to be something big and you really had to put a lot on the line. And I've really reframed that over the years. As I was first leaving my corporate job, I had a couple of people say how brave it was what I was doing. And I just hadn't been able to process it quite like that. And I was kind of like, brave, what the heck? I don't know what they're talking about. But in hindsight, they were right. It was a very brave, courageous decision to take 15 years of a career and say, this isn't quite it for me, but I'm going to take what I've learned and I'm going to do this other thing that right now is it. Like right now, I can't ignore these nudges anymore. And that was that does feel brave. You know, when I look back on it, that was brave. So here's the brave thing I have done. So I sang in a pretty high functioning choir in high school and I was also an athlete. So sometimes those performances coincided and I had to choose and I kind of always choose the sport route, which in hindsight, I wish I would have um, maybe chose the music more often. But, you know, all my friends were in the sports and, you know, I just it felt like that was where I was supposed to be. And I was a decent athlete. So it's not like I was riding the bench all the time and and not enjoying the sport. I enjoyed the sport, too. But I think I loved the music more when I really look back on it. I really loved that. And it exposed me to a new group of people that I got to know and I really enjoyed. I'm like, gosh, I could be friends with some of these people. How interesting. And, you know, my senior year, I decided to do the musical, which was Hello, Dolly, which was awesome if you haven't seen it. And I really had never heard of Hello, Dolly. I didn't know of musical theater. My parents did not have the money to take us to see, you know, a lot of theater and fine arts. And I really loved it. You know, like my mom and I watched it together before I was going to be in it. So I understood the story and then we got it kicked off and I loved every second of it. And again, I got to get exposed to this whole other group of people, the theater kids where I'm like, these people are awesome and super talented. 
So that was really cool. That experience was. And I always said, I'm going to circle back to that. I want to sing again someday. And I kind of thought it would just be part of my life, you know, there on out. And of course, I had a few little things. I sang in a rock band that like professionally was just like, they're like, hey, can you jump in and sing this song? It hits your range. Sure. I sang a few songs at my parents. Um, I think it was 60th birthday. Would that be right? 60th birthday. And they had my husband, who's a drummer, and um, his band come and play. And I sang a few songs there, you know, so that kind of stuff. And I sing all the time at home. That's actually, if you were to ask me one of the things that I do that brings me joy, singing at home when my family is just gone. Like, I'll just build out a song and I love it. It really brings me so much energy. Sometimes I'll miss a note and I'll go back and, you know, correct it and, and be able to get that right. And that feels great. So here's what I did. 25 years I have not sang in a functioning choir, so it's been a long time. And there's a lot. If you've ever sang in a, in a, a high-functioning choir, you know there's all these different parts. You're not always singing the melody, and you have to sing your part, and sometimes that can be really hard if you don't really know how to read the music or you can't sight read. So I was probably like, I would give myself like a B- minus in sight reading, which is where you can just look at a note and you can sing that note. Like you're like the piano. You can sing the note as you look at it. I was like a B minus when I was in high school. You know, like I could nail most of them, but I some of them I missed. So I decided to sing in a Christmas concert here locally. They announced they were asking or they announced that they were looking for guest singers. And I was like, this is it. I've been to this Christmas concert before. It's beautiful. I love it. It kicks off my holiday season. It's always the first weekend of the month. I'm like, I'm going to do it. So I reached out and it was probably a couple of weeks after I saw the announcement and they said, oh, we're already two practices in. We usually start beginning of October. Are you able to join tomorrow? You need to come tomorrow if, if we're going to make this work. And I'm like, sure. Yeah, I could pick this up. No problem. So I get in there and this is more intense than I expected. I mean, this is a high functioning, very talented choir. I think there's 140 of us. So it's big. I mean, it's a lot of people. And they asked me what part I sing, second soprano. They give me my music and I'm opening up this music and they're playing the song and I'm like, holy shit. Like, I mean, it is a lot. These are not, we're not singing like joy to the world. Um, it's intense music, you know, like it is, it is big. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So all these feelings of, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? Why did I do this? I'm not good enough to do this. These people sing all the time. I haven't done this in 25 years. That whole narrative just came flooding back. And I experienced that in my business for sure. So I've had to learn to navigate that. But one of the beautiful things is what I have now that I didn't have 25 years ago is the knowledge of those thoughts and feelings that are coming up. I mean, there was some shame that came up. Like, what am I doing here? I suck at this. I'm not good enough for this. Um, there was, you know, obviously fear. There was some anxiety. Like, what if I can't do this? You know, like, what if I really can't remember how to do this? And I started like he was, you know, the the um, music director was kind of pointing out some things that we were not doing so well. And he was pretty like, you know, he was on it like he was right. And he, you know, said second Sopranos. There's somebody that's off. And I thought immediately, oh, my God, that's me. He's talking to me. I know he's talking to me. And he's thinking, why do we let this lady join this this choir? I cannot believe we, you know, and I'm like, holy shit, Rachel, like, take a step back, even if he was talking to me. So what? I just started like 
of course, I may not know all the music. It's not common music. And I haven't sang the second soprano part in all of this music. So just really interesting. My instinct, and if I would still be drinking regularly, I would have walked out of there and never gone back. I would have made up some excuse, sent him an email, and I would never come back. As I walked out of there, I thought, okay, like I can manage this. This is going to be something you're going to do that is brave and you're going to push through it. You're going to do it no matter the results and you're going to learn from it and we're doing this thing. So that was kind of an interesting reflection because my instinct was get the hell out of here. Like run. This practice is going to be over and you can easily make up something. They're not going to drown if you don't join. Like they have enough musicians here. But I didn't do that. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of staying in the arena, even when it feels like it's really hard. So I'll let you know an update as I continue down this this path. You know, we have weekly hour and a half practices, and then we have a three-hour dress rehearsal in November, and then we will sing in the concert um, December 1st and 2nd. So if you're local, please come in and see me. That would be so much fun. It's at St. Luke's United Methodist Church. and they bring in a high school choir, and it's definitely open to anyone of any sort of faith or, or belief. It's really just, you know, beautiful music So, um, to kick off the holiday season. So that's my brave thing that I'm doing. And, you know, while it brings up some what we would call maybe more negatively perceived emotions, it also is exciting. Like, it's like an equal combination of anxiety and excitement, you know? And I think sometimes we misjudge excitement as anxiety. Like it's only anxiety. And it's like, yeah, of course there's some anxiety here, but there's also some excitement. And I've learned to talk myself through doing something new, different, and brave that I haven't done in a long time and manage those thoughts. So cool. Because that means that's just going to build on the next time I experience this, whether it's professional, personal, I can pull from this little knowledge bank of, oh, I did that thing and I was able to work through that. I can, I can do this. I can do hard things. So today's topic is burnout. When I first started in this coaching world, burnout was one of my key topics. You know, this was four or five years ago. I started talking to people about burnout. I started openly talking about my own experience of burnout and it's kind of become a popular word. You know, we've kind of just thrown it out there. This is what burnout is. I haven't met a human being that's over the age of 30 that can't relate to this. And I'm seeing more and more burnout in, you know, 20-year-olds. And I've even seen some judgment, you know, online of how could you possibly be burnout at 25 years old? And it's like, oh, it's possible at any age. This is not one of those things that is reserved for midlife, which I think is kind of the lie our culture tells us is that the only space for this is midlife crisis. And then you get through that and you buy your sports car and you're good. And that's just not how it goes in the real world. So, you know, I've shared on this podcast my experience with burnout in the past. I know I have a lot of newer listeners. So I'll talk a little bit about what that looked like. It was seven years ago. I had just had my second daughter and I was coming off of, so you know, I've shared this as well in the past, but I was coming off of having my son, which was a super easy pregnancy, no problems. He was a lovely baby. Everything was great. I was finishing my master's degree, so I was home part-time with him. It was great. And then we decided, because I wasn't getting any younger, that we wanted to have another baby pretty quickly. And I had a miscarriage 
uh, about when he was about six months old. And that was harder than I expected. You know, they say one in four. I think it's probably higher than that. Um, we don't often, some people don't know they're pregnant, but also I just think it's higher than one in four because damn near everybody I know has had a miscarriage. It was harder than I expected. It was really hard to have something you really wanted and that you already loved and to have it ripped out from underneath you. And I thought, okay, no problem. This happens a lot. It doesn't mean anything's wrong. We're going to be good to go. Got pregnant again, got to 20 weeks, and we, to make a long story short, ended up having a stillbirth at 24 weeks. We found out at 20 weeks our baby was not going to live, and I delivered my stillborn daughter at 24 weeks. That was a horrific experience, as you could imagine, but it was so much worse actually experiencing it. You know, I'd worked in labor and delivery and I'd had, you know, we called them fetal demises. And it was kind of like we sort of desensitized it by calling it a fetal demise. Like it was like, here's the very clinical term about this experience. And we'd put little things on the door to make sure people knew, like dietary didn't come in and say, oh, what did you have? You know, which did happen a couple of times in that experience. And it was pretty heartbreaking. Um, so, you know, we had this, these ways I knew how to navigate that from a clinician standpoint, not as a person, like not as a human being that this was happening to. So that was rough. And then rough is, you know, that's to say the least I could, t- I, have a, I could have a whole podcast episode about that, that particular experience. Cause it actually kind of woke, woke me up emotionally. I think I had shut off my emotions for so long and I opened up the floodgates with that experience and they have not shut and I'm so grateful for that. So I do think that was something that came out of that that was absolutely a positive. And I would not be doing what I'm doing today without that experience, for sure. And then I had another miscarriage. Um, and I was just, like, pissed at that point. You know, it was like, really? I mean, what in the hell? I'm a loving mother who wants this child more than anything, and I can't seem to have a second baby. Why not? It doesn't feel like our family's complete. So long story short, then I got, you know, pregnant again. I was anxious the whole time, but my daughter came out beautifully healthy and full term and all the things. And, you know, that chapter of my storybook was closed. But what I didn't address was all the emotion of, you know, the in-between, my son and my daughter. There was so much emotion. And I just thought, well, if I can just get pregnant and have a healthy baby again, then that will all go away. I'll be good to go. And I didn't really take the time to process some of that grief and the emotion that I was experiencing. And quite frankly, the burden that it put on my relationship with my husband. He didn't know how to support me. Um, I wasn't telling him what I really wanted or needed because I was like, I don't want to be too needy. He should go on to work and I'll go in for this painful procedure by myself. Why? You know, like if that were me today, I would say, no, you need to take the day off and I want you there with me. And he would have done that. Like, it's not like he wouldn't have done that. So that's what's so fascinating to me. So anyway, lots and lots of learning. So had my daughter, went back to work. I was in a new role. I had actually taken on the role when I was newly pregnant with her. And there was a lot there. You know, I mean, there was a lot to do. It was the first time that the organization had ever had that role. And so I just felt a lot of pressure. Like, okay, I got to go back and I got to do this. I had a wonderful leader at the time. And I didn't feel pressure from her, but I certainly felt like the organization and nursing in general, because we never had this, you know, job role of analytics and making the technologies better for nurses to use and actually working with bedside nurses to 
you know, figure out how to make these systems not be a burden, you know, that they can actually help us if we are efficient in them, we know how to use them. So that was kind of my whole job. And I really loved that work. So it was like, okay, this is great. But I had so much at home going on. And, you know, if you've ever breastfed a child, good Lord, like I right out of the gate, I was like, I'm going to supplement when I go back to work. And like the second this is disrupting my mental health or my stress level, I just I'm going to stop. Like, that's it. I, you know, the first one, I felt so much pressure to make it to a year because that's what everybody was telling me. And you know what? Like, truly, your mental health and your connection with your baby is so much more important than how you feed your baby. <laughs> so that that is my personal take on it after I've stepped away from from that, you know, world and sort of the all or nothing mentality. It's just it doesn't work. And I think the mother's mental health is at the forefront. So I had, you know, made that commitment. You know, there were some things I was doing a little bit differently, but it was a couple of months in and I was just driving into work every day just thinking I had all these thoughts, all the things I had to do at home and all the responsibilities I had taking care of two children now and a household. And I was still cleaning my own house and doing everything, doing freaking everything. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I was driving into work just thinking, I really like the work I'm doing, but this can't be what life is like. This cannot be it. There's no way on earth this is why I was put here. To do this? No way. So, you know, my husband had a great job and, you know, it was kind of like, maybe I should just quit. Maybe I should just stay home for a couple of years and and do that. And then I was like, oh, even when I stayed home part-time, that was horrible. I hated staying at home. Like, I really did not like it. I Like, I always found stuff to do. I wasn't bored. I wasn't sitting around. But it was like mind-numbing to me. I just, I'm like, but I didn't like that. So what do I do? You know, it's like, I don't really have choices there. My husband was supportive of either way. Like, he really was not, he didn't really care. You know, his mom stayed at home with him for a long, long, long time. And I think he saw that that did take a bit of a toll on her mental health and just not having that thing that was just hers. You know, that was the beauty of going into work is like people knew me as me. They didn't know me as Austin and Zoe's mom, you know. So it's like, oh, wow, that's so cool because you still get to have that. So I think he was a little hesitant of like, are you sure you would want to stay home? Because I don't know if that's good for you. But anyway, you know, he kind of let me sort that out. So I confided in a mentor and told her what I was thinking. I was like, I think I just got to quit. I can't do this. This is too much. Oh, and by the way, the 2016 election was happening at that exact same time. And it was just so polarizing. And I'm an Enneagram 9, so I'm not big on people fighting. I'm like, I don't get why we can't just all get along and come to consensus. I don't understand. Um, so it was really tough, you know, so all that was all happening at the same time. And and she just said, you know, what? I have a somebody that's a life coach that I've worked with in the past and she might be able to help you. And I was like, what? What the hell is a life coach? Like, I mean, I guess I've heard of that, but that's a real job. There are people that do that. I like I thought maybe I should go to therapy, but I've been to therapy and I didn't really love it. It just wasn't. I didn't find maybe the best therapist right off the bat. And actually, in some cases, I feel like maybe it was harmful, which I'm not saying don't go to therapy because I think there are certainly good therapists out there. Just make sure if you're having those feelings that you're number one talking about that with the therapist or finding someone else. So 
like any job, there are good and bad um, therapists out there. So, you know, I didn't really know where I fit in because I felt like, gosh, I wasn't so rock bottom that I felt like I needed a therapist because that's what I thought therapy was for. People that were rock bottom. And it's so interesting how that connects to alcohol use, too. I thought that's what support was for. I thought that's what AA was for. You know, rehab, all those things are just for the people at rock bottom. And really, our culture tells us in both of those scenarios, in therapy and in, you know, alcohol reduction or or not drinking alcohol, they kind of say it's like an all or nothing thing. And it's just that's not reality. We know that. So I reached out to this coach in Atlanta and I just kind of thought, okay, I think I got to try this. At first I was like, what do I have to pay you? That's crazy. And then I was like, um, are you? Like, are you willing to keep living like this? Is that more crazy <laughs> to not get the help you need? And then I was like, okay, so what? Like, I got to pay this woman. Let's like, we're going to try something different. If I don't get my money's worth out of this, cool, I won't do it again. Bottom line, I worked with her for two years. So I clearly got my money's worth. And, you know, she slowly just helped me get out of what burnout was for me. What burnout looked like for me is not wanting to make any decisions because I was decision fatigued, not having any energy for anything outside of just the basics, right? Like I basically took care of myself, my kids, and did my job. And that was really it. And took care of the house, you know, like I was doing all that stuff. And as I was working with her, I was slowly starting to do some things. And I jotted down just sort of those like key things that were really helpful that she helped guide me through. And it's exactly what I needed. And I would take my this time at work. So I was still working full time in my executive job. And I would take the time at work. And at first, I was feeling a little guilty about that. And then I was like, no, 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 no. My work wants me to show up in the healthiest, most productive way. Because I was always more productive after I talked with her. So it's like so interesting that I think that hour of time that I'm taking, in air quotes, away from the company was not actually giving back to the company. What a joke. Like, it gave back so much more to the company. So I would take that time, and I met with her every other week so I could sort of process these things. She was exposing me to people that I'd never heard of, like Brooke Castillo, and I was listening to her podcast, and I was listening to Mel Robbins and watching her TED Talks at the time. She didn't think she had a podcast at that time. Um, you know, all these people where I'm like, oh, there's a whole different world out here. The way I've been trained to believe living life is, is not reality for so many people. And so I started with that. I started with my coach, um, you know, and I was, like I said, just energy depleted. I didn't really care about anything. I was sort of just aloof, like, so what? Like, you know, like everything was kind of like a so what? Like I was very apathetic, didn't care about a lot. I was eating like shit. I wasn't exercising because I was like, I just, I got to wait till my kids are a little bit older. You know, there was always some excuse. I was knee deep in victim mentality. I had this whole thought series. My husband's so selfish. He gets to do whatever he wants. His life hasn't changed as much as mine has, which was true. I mean, that was accurate. I think anybody who's a mom here and has a male partner, their lives don't change as much as yours does, period. And I think even emotionally and the connection that you have. With that child, it feels like a part of your like soul is walking around outside of your body. And it's scary, right? Like you're scared of what could happen to that. So it's just a totally different experience for the mom, in my opinion. So 
I was having all these thoughts. So like our relationship wasn't great. I was putting so much pressure on myself because my mom did it all. Like she cleaned the whole house. She um, cooked all the meals. She did all the dishes. She did it all. And I watched that. And so I kind of thought that's what I was supposed to be as a mom. So I would get home and think, what are we going to make for dinner? Oh, my gosh. What are we going to make for dinner? Um, that would be my next decision I had to make. And, you know, my drinking definitely had an uptick during that time. So I started opening wine while I was cooking dinner because, you know, that's the classy thing to do. And people at work were saying that's what they were doing. So I was kind of just following along with the culture. And, you know, I would whip together something for dinner. And then I started just sharing a little bit with my husband. I'm like, I just, I don't know. Like, I feel like I have so much pressure and it's so hard. And I said, I feel like I got to get something on the table. Like, I feel like I've got to cook a meal every single night. And he's like, why on earth do you think that? And I was like, I don't know. So I kind of took those things into my coaching conversations. And she helped me slow down, which if you can't tell, I can get to moving too quickly. And my voice even speeds up when I get excited or, you know, there's something going on. I speed up my talk and I don't really always think about everything I'm saying. She helped me really understand that I don't have to believe every thought that comes across my mind. And I got a lot of thoughts. Like it is never ending. I always equate it to in Bruce Almighty when he starts to get all the prayers from all the people. That's what it feels like to me. And it's still a lot of days does feel like that. I feel like I've learned to be able to calm some of those thoughts. Um, but still, there are still days that I experience that for sure. But what I don't do is I don't let those negative thoughts and that negative self-talk run my world. I've learned to understand how my you know emotions behind the thoughts. You know, there's arguments in the psychology community. If the thought comes first and then the emotion comes, or if the emotion comes and then the thought comes, who gives a shit? That's my opinion. Who gives a shit? If um, you can just recognize that those two things are happening, like I have a an actual statement, like a thought is a statement. So my husband is selfish is a statement. My feelings with that, well, um, anger, sadness. I feel like I was let down resentment, you know, like all these things, like, and the resentment was actually envy because I wanted to just move through the world the exact same I did before I had kids. Like, why not? You know, he seems to be doing that. And so, you know, those are the things I had to really work through. And then I had to like ask myself, is there any reason to hold on to this? Like, is there a reason to hold on to this narrative? Because all it is doing is creating misery for me. And, you know, I've told some people this story. I've actually told my mom this story. And she's had the comment, well, that's just letting him off the hook. He is selfish. He's not helping you. You know, and there's this whole narrative, which I'm sure all of you have a boomer mom that has said the same things to you. And I'm like, okay, so if I let him off the hook, so what? What is the cost of me letting him off the hook in air quotes? What's the cost of that? It's my own misery. It's me staying in misery. And holding on to this narrative. And it wasn't changing anything because I wasn't asking him to help me. I wasn't setting my own boundaries to say, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) This is not happening. Or, oh, I'm going to go to the gym. Or, oh, I'm going to go do this. I just stopped doing anything. I was fully dedicated to I have to be at home. I have to be a martyr for my children. Um, And I know many of you can relate to this. 
And if you're early on in parenthood or if you haven't had children yet, um, what a great opportunity to be aware of this stuff because I was just fully unaware of it. My mom was a martyr. That's all I saw, you know, and it's kind of like that's what I thought it was supposed to be like until I woke up. So that was one of the big things like that thought feeling cycle and to just question my own painful thoughts that I was telling myself and asking if they were serving a purpose for me. And the answer was usually no. So there was that. I mentioned boundaries. I think that was a huge piece to get me out of burnout. You know, we know what burnout is. We've talked all about burnout, but we don't talk about how to get out of it. So I'm trying to give you a real picture of what that looks like. So I had no boundaries. I said yes to everything. I didn't stand tall in my boundaries. So when I would set a boundary, I would let it slide. Like I just didn't hold my boundaries. Like setting a boundary is not hard. Holding a boundary, not so easy. And honestly, when I was drinking, it was so much harder. Like I just didn't have that clarity of no, I said this. And sometimes I didn't remember what I said, right? So it's like, that was a huge thing. Like I had very little boundaries when I was drinking a bottle of wine most days. So boundaries were a big deal. I started getting more of what I wanted because I was setting these boundaries, which was really interesting. And, you know, my husband and I, our relationship has evolved to not necessarily like, oh, I have to tell him what to do because that was kind of how it started. Like, well, you have to ask for help, ask for help. And so I started asking for help. I'm like, okay, he doesn't know how to do this because he's never been a dad either. Um, And he doesn't know how to manage a household because he's actually never done that. And I have managed a household. So, you know, it's like, okay, that was... That was obvious that, you know, that was still on my plate. And now we're to the point where I'm like, nope, we've been doing this for 14 years. I'm not asking you for what I need. You know what I need. I am asking for you to be a leader inside of this family with me. And that resonates for him. You know, he's like, yeah, I get it. You know, so that's been an interesting revolution. So if you're frustrated by having to ask for what you want, Look at it as just a turtle step to what I'm describing now, because it may just be a turtle step. We have to meet people where they are because they're not where we are. So that was big. I really focused in on my own health. That was a big deal. So my drinking went down because I intuitively knew my drinking was too much, but I wasn't even thinking about that. Like that was that was a non-negotiable. The alcohol was going to stay no matter what. I just drank less of it. I started eating healthier. I prioritized workouts. So I, my second child cried when anybody else held her except for me and our beautiful nanny at the time, Jordan. Um, and she still is a part of our lives. Love her to death. So if she ever listens to this podcast, you know, you get a shout out. Um, so those were basically the only people that she would go to and she didn't cry. And so it was not worth it for me sometimes to hand her over to my husband because I'm just like, oh, my God, I can hear her crying. So I started prioritizing those workouts and just getting up, you know, early and I would go to bed early. I would get up early and I would go and do my workout. And sometimes the kids would like bother me or I would hear things. And I set a boundary there with my husband and said, I am asking for 45 minutes, four times a day, four times a week. That's all I was asking for, 45 minutes. Um, And I need to be uninterrupted if you are home, period. And he's like, no problem. And he did it. So I'm like, cool. So I started getting this evidence of like, hey, like, if I ask for what I want, I actually can get it. And if he doesn't get it right away, I'm going to set the boundary and say, nope, this is what we said we were doing, you know, in a kind way. And he's like, okay, yep, yep, yep. This is new to him too. So, you know, we're all working through this together. So 
that was a big thing that I was recognizing I need to really prioritize my health. And I, you know, at the time lost about 25 pounds and I was still, you know, had some, you know, baby weight and all the things, some (laughs) wine weight on me that I was, you know, working through. So that was really cool. I was starting to get some energy back because, gosh, my burnout was so just lethargic. You know, like, I think that's the best word. Yeah, like it was rough. So that was a big, big uh, turning point was really prioritizing that. And my sleep, too. Like, I just stopped staying up watching TV late at night as a numbing behavior because that's what I had done in the past. And I just went to bed early. Like, it was like the baby goes to bed, I go to bed. So that's what I did. I started really learning because my coach was exposing me to all these people like Byron Katie and Brene Brown was coming on the scene at the time. And I was kind of like, who's this? You know, and so she was kind of exposing me to all these different, you know, authors and even podcasts that I had never heard of because I was in like I was so knee deep in like the corporate world that that's all the stuff I was listening to. And people around us were like, oh, have you read you know, the five habits of highly effective people. And, you know, like all these more like, I don't know, like they were gearing it more towards the corporate world. So I was like looking at it through that lens and not looking at it through like a holistic well-being lens. I thought those things were just two separate things. They're not. Like if you're going to be an effective person in the corporate world, you've got to do all this stuff, period. Like if you're going to really be an effective leader, you have to do it all. It's all encompassing. So I was learning. I was learning more about just psychology, which, side note, was my favorite subject in college and in grad school. And I got A++ on all of that work and actually cared and went to the class, um, which was not the case for other classes. So that was cool to see that, you know, like, oh, interesting. I started learning about the Enneagram, which, of course, I still use today. I love the Enneagram. It's such a beautiful tool for self-awareness. So I still use this today all the time with clients. I started listening to more podcasts. They started getting more popular. And I would go out and take a walk when it was nice out and listen to a podcast at lunch, you know, or even if I had a break between two and three, you know. And I started seeing there was a little gym in my office. And I started seeing some people like on the treadmill with headphones in during the workday. And I was like, oh, but you want to know what? They were all men. And I found that men just take what they need from the world. And this is very binary. So hang with me here. Men just take what they need from the world and women wait for somebody to give them permission to have it. And I'm like, wait a minute. So I kind of just started acting more like a man, which was really helpful. And I started doing the same thing. So, you know, even when the weather wasn't great, I was getting a walk in every day. I was getting this like soul food of learning something new and learning something I cared about. And then I go back and have to do something that maybe I didn't care about as much. And I did it with more joy, right? Like it was just, it was an all around win. I was also focusing on just my own joy. You know, like what is it that I want? And I was doing some exercises with my client or with my coach, going back and looking at, you know, me when I was 10, 11, 12, that like kind of pure before like everything got a hold of me and I started noticing, you know, oh, my body doesn't look like so-and-so's and the boys aren't paying attention to me. Ugh, makes me just want to like go back and hug that girl that had to experience that. But I was going back to like that, you know, like eight to, I don't know, probably 10 year old that just like was just silly, did whatever she wanted, laughed, you know, all the time. I laughed all the time. Um, I loved playing games, you know, so I was like going back to some of those things. And sure enough, those things were still life giving to me, you know, so I was doing those things, walking, getting back into nature. 
I love to decorate my house and I love to change things up, like move things around a little bit. Like that is a hobby for me and it brings me a lot of joy. And I just thought that every person liked to do that, or I guess every woman liked to do that. And it turns out a lot of people don't. So I was like, oh, that's, I guess that is unique to me. And I think I'm good at it. You know, I know how to put things and like, I don't know, I just, I enjoy it. So I still to this day, that's one of my things where if I have to get out of a funk, I'll start to just do that, you know, where it's like, okay, I'm going to move this thing around. Oh, that feels like a like new, fresh environment to be in. Cool. You know, and that kind of gets me out of the funk. Um, I started shifting some friendships. So, you know, I had a lot of acquaintances. We spent time with people. And obviously, when you have kids, that starts to, you know, tail off a little bit as they're young and we need naps and early bedtimes and all that stuff. And then we started to pick that back up. And I started just shifting into more of the people I really wanted to you know, grow relationships with and get to know better. And I started shifting out of more of those acquaintance acquaintances. Like I wasn't going to spend my time with an acquaintance when I had limited time. So that was a big one for me. Um, the last one I want to talk about was doing whatever I wanted. That was something that Martha Beck gave me as I went through her coach training program you know, about a year into my relationship with my coach, she kept talking to Martha, Martha Beck and she's exposing me to her. And I'm like, who is this woman? How do I know who this woman is? She's like the best or most well-known life coach in the world and, you know, worked with Oprah. And, you know, like she's been around for a really long time. She is a doctor. She has, you know, tons of experience on the more, um, what I would say, like non-spiritual side. So like the more like scientific side. And she totally like has integrated that with the more spiritual side, which I love. And not from a like faith in a certain thing. Like we're talking about like soul, like spiritual. Um, And so she was exposing me, me to all these things that I never heard before. Like there were times where I wanted to throw her book because I was just like, why didn't someone tell me this? Like, why in grade school and middle school and high school did I not have a full curriculum around this? I don't understand why they didn't teach me these things. I just felt a little like let down by the world. And I know I'm not alone there. I know so many people have felt let down by even our education system. Like, why didn't they teach me some of these life skills that would have been super helpful <laughs> as I was, you know, growing up and still needing parented, but without a parent there, like you were just alone. So that, you know, was really big to kind of get exposed to some of this stuff. And one of Martha Beck's big things is like, just do whatever you want. I don't know. What do you want to do? And then people will often answer like, well, like if you, she would ask me, what do I want to do in my burnout? I would have said, quit my job. And she would have been like, well, why do you want to quit your job? And like, we would have kept going I would have not gotten to the end result that I wanted to quit my job. That not that would would have not been it. It would have been like I want to go back to like get back into who I really am. Like I want to remember who I really am and I want to go full force ahead towards that. So, you know, it's like what we think the initial thing is of what we want is oftentimes not actually actually what we want. It's our escape route. It's the only way we see to get out of this terrible feeling or terrible experience we're having. And it's not really what we want. So when I really think about that, like, what do I want to do? And I do this all the time. So I do this in my daily life, where I'll think, oh, I should do this. And whenever I start to hear should, that's a red flag for me, because it's 99.9% .9 of the time something I don't want to do. 
That's why I'm saying I should do it. Because it's kind of like a little backhanded. Like, you should be doing, you should be working out. Well, I don't want to work out right now. What I want to do is sit and cozy up next to the fireplace and read a book. That's what I want to do. So I started doing that. Like, I prioritized what I wanted to do first. And then (laughs) what happened, which was not, I mean, not surprising to me now, but then it was surprising. I actually got to the thing that I was, quote unquote, shooting myself to do. Like, I got to all of it. I was more productive when I started with the thing I wanted to do. I got to all the other things. And sometimes I have more clarity. Not sometimes. I did have more clarity around what those things were. If you jump in with the shoulds, jump in with both feet with the shoulds and you got a list of shoulds, um, you're going to get off track because you don't like your truly your heart is not in it. Like you don't want to be doing that. So there's like that little part of you that's just like, we got to do this. This is terrible. That's saying that throughout the whole process too. And when I did the thing I wanted to do, I didn't have that part of me talking about it because I fulfilled that need, right? Like there was a stubbornness to me, which I am a very stubborn person. So I have a lot of stubborn, you know, challenges for sure. Uh, But the stubbornness in me was like fighting against myself with the things I should be doing. So I think that would be my call to action for this week is every single day I want you to do something you want to do. I don't care how dumb it is to the outside world. I don't care. Do something you want to do and just experiment. Like see what happens. Like maybe your day will go better. Maybe if you haven't stopped drinking or you're still considering if you even want to stop drinking, maybe, just maybe, you find out that you drink less that evening. How interesting. Or you don't drink at all that that evening. How interesting. So, you know, you've heard me say this a million times. If you're doing one way and it's not working for you, there's going to be no harm in trying a different way. So let's do it. So that's our call to action. I would even love to hear from you if you did this, what it was you did, because I love the silliness behind like some of the stuff I choose to do that I really want to do that probably nobody else would choose or not nobody, but most people would not choose to do, but I love it, you know? So, so that's the call to action this week. And if you are experiencing burnout, take, you know, one of these things, take a turtle step towards maybe one of these things. All these things happened over a span of seven years, you know, like this was not something I did at once. I find a lot of my clients are like, I'm going to throw everything I got at this. I know. And then they end up, of course, even more burnout because they can't sustain that. So, you know, we're talking about turtle steps here. Just, you know, choose some of these things. They will build and build and build and build and build. And seven years from now, imagine where you'll be. So I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope that you do something that you want to do that's only for you. Do what you want. And we will be back next week. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can be reminded for my weekly Wednesday episodes. If you're curious about my programs and options of ways to work with me, check out rachelpritz.com. And if that's not interesting to you right now, no problem. Just keep listening along for free. Either way, I'm here for you.